Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 288. It's titled, Will Early Retirements Crash the Economy? I recently saw a poll that was sponsored by T. Rowe Price. It showed 43% of millennial workers expect to retire before the age of 65. That compares to 35% of those from Generation X, which is ages 40 to 55. This survey was referenced in an article by Gina Smialik of the New York Times. The article was titled, How Millennials Could Make the Fed's Job Harder. The subtitle, They Love the Idea of Retiring Early. That Could Diminish the Federal Reserve's Firepower. The article referenced how millennials, in order to leave the workforce early, would need to build up massive retirement funds and buy less things. And that lack of demand could hit consumption, which would slow economic growth, leading to ever lower interest rates. The author mentioned the paradox of thrift, which is if everyone tries to save in mass, that could lead to lower economic growth, lower inflation, and trip up the economy. She writes, when consumers save a big portion of their income, they are not spending as much on dinners out, movie nights, and cars. Businesses respond by investing less in equipment and technology, and productivity stalls. Bosses are unwilling to pay their workers more for the same output, and weak pay gains further restrain spending. Would a wave of early retirement cause such economic turmoil? That's what we're going to explore in this episode. The fear that early retirements would cause economic turmoil is not new. It was prevalent in the 1920s, which are sometimes called the Roaring Twenties, because it was a period where economic growth was very, very strong in the U.S. It was following World War I. Manufacturers really hit their stride. They were able to produce goods that were affordable to the masses. The economy the measure of output, gross domestic product, grew by about 42% during the 1920s. That compares to about 25% economic growth during the most recent decade. Real per capita GDP, the amount of output produced per person, grew from $6,500, this is on a real basis, so net of inflation, to $9,070, about a 40% increase. Between 2010 and 2019, real per capita GDP in the U.S. grew 
from just under 50,000 to just over 58,000, about a 17% increase. Now, it was from a smaller base in the 1920s, but it was a period of expansion, even greater than the expansion of the most recent decade, where we didn't have any economic recessions in the U.S. In the 1920s, there were several brief periods of economic contraction, but generally speaking, the economy was doing very, very well. Lincoln Steffens, he's an investigative journalist, was known for his investigations on corruption within business. In 1928, he wrote, Big business in America is producing what the socialists held up as their goal. Food, shelter, and clothing for all. President Calvin Coolidge said, This is essentially a business country. Journalist Samuel Strauss in the Atlantic Monthly in 1924 wrote, This is our proudest boast. The American citizen has more comforts and conveniences than kings had 200 years ago. He pointed out the signs of that prosperity. Automobiles, radios, buildings, bathrooms, furs, furniture, ocean liners, hotels, bridges, vacuum cleaners, cameras, bus lines, electric toasters, moving pictures, railway cars, packaged foods, telephones, pianos, novels, comics. These things were made available because of mass production, efficiencies in the manufacturing process. They were also accessible to the public, not only because the prices were affordable, but credit was available, installment purchases. Robert Lind and Helen Merrill, in their book Middletown, A Study in American Culture, came out in 1929. Middletown was Muncie, Indiana. They wrote, today, Middletown or Muncie lives by a credit economy that is available in some form to nearly every family in the community. The rise and spread of the dollar down and so much per plan extends credit for virtually everything. Homes, $200 overstuffed living room suites, electric washing machines, automobiles, fur coats, diamond rings. Consumption became a necessity, said Samuel Strauss. There was actually a word for it. It was called consumptionism. He classified it as a new science. He wrote, through the centuries, the problem has been how to produce enough of the things men wanted. The problem now is how to make men want and use more than enough things. The science of plenty, it has been called. The newspaper in Muncie, Indiana, said the first duty of a citizen is to produce. But then they said consumption is a new necessity. And in order to stoke that consumption, businesses turned to advertising, copywriting, the idea that these ads could actually stoke desire to buy stuff. William Chenery, editor of Collier's Magazine, wrote in May 1930 that advertising essentially is the awakening of human desire. The successful advertisement makes you crave new things. He gave the example of beards and mustaches, that they had gone out of favor because razor manufacturers, he said, persuaded us to shave. 
He wrote, 40 years ago, the man who shaved daily was a dude. Today, a beard is a relic. Thank advertising for that if you are against whiskers. Here's the thing, though. Even though there was all this stuff and all this advertising that tried to generate demand for stuff, the big fear was if households stopped buying things, that the economy would crash. Samuel Strauss wrote in The Atlantic, for the standard of living to sag back, for the people to buy half of what they used to buy, everybody knows that means ruin, not the ruin of business alone. The national prosperity gone. The national safety is in danger. This is not a fear. It is a fact. They were worried that manufacturers were so good and efficient at producing things. It was an economy of things that it would indeed crash the economy if people stopped buying. And that would spill over into a decline of other institutions. The system of free education, charities, parks would spring up with weeds because there wouldn't be the tax revenue to take care of them. And admits all this consumptionism and fear, a leading luminary of living the simple life, of plain living and high thinking, Edward Bach, he had been the editor of Ladies Home Journal from 1889 until December 1919. He grew that magazine to where it had a huge influence. Two million copies were sold in October 1919. What did he do? He decided to retire early at the age of 56. David Shee, the author of The Simple Life, said Bach went about promoting the gospel of retired activism and bemoaning the crass preoccupation with material pursuits that seemed to pervade the jazz age of America. Bach wrote in 1924, money is king, business is our God, commerce rules. He felt that individuals should abandon the harness of business while they still had health and resources and devote their time and energy to higher causes, to retire early. And the pushback was extraordinary. Glenn Frank, editor of The Century magazine, said Bach was preaching a dangerous and essentially antisocial doctrine that threatened American tradition of sticking to business until one drops in the harness. He wrote Bach should be morally court-martialed for deserting his post in the midst of the battle, his post in a job. He should die in the harness. William Feather in The Nation's Business wrote, Mr. Bach is un-American. In proof of this, I cite that he has quit work and is now attempting to do good and conducting a vigorous propaganda to induce other businessmen to do likewise. He concluded by saying, I contend that no 100% American subscribes to such a doctrine. The 100% American dies in the harness. Wow, I had no idea that there was such pushback and fear from retirement in the 1920s. 
But was it early retirement that crashed the economy in 1929? No. There are many reasons for the crash that led to the Great Depression. But one was too much consumer debt. Installment buying. The Bureau of Labor Statistics put out a warning in 1926 that said, if installment buying of non-essentials continues to grow as it has been growing, it is difficult to predict anything but disaster. They suggested real wages needed to increase so that consumers could manage their debt load. And real wages did increase. Henry Ford was a big proponent of raising wages so that workers actually had money to buy all the things that were being made. Too much consumer debt hurt the economy when consumers pulled back. Speculation hurt the economy. The mutual fund became available for the first time and the ability of individual investors to buy on margin, to purchase stock with 10% down. They could borrow the money from the brokers who in turn were borrowing the money from banks. The U.S. stock market gained 30% in 1927 and 1928. Barry Eichengreen and Chris Michener in a working paper titled The Great Depression as a Credit Boom Gone Wrong said those strong stock market returns encouraged the belief that stocks could only go up. There were skyscraper bonds that were used to finance skyscrapers. It was speculative oftentimes. Lee Thomas Smith president of National Association of Building Owners and Managers wrote in 1926, buildings are being put up entirely through the endeavor of bond houses to sell bonds, whether the buildings are needed or not. Overproduction is caused by speculators who borrow at full cost of construction regardless of return. They then sell the building at a profit and proceed to erect another somewhere else. The Federal Reserve started to worry about all this speculation and property and land, and stocks, consumer debt levels. So they raised interest rates. They took the proverbial punch bowl away. They didn't do it at first, even though there was an asset bubble, because there was enough capacity to produce goods and services that there were not the inflationary pressure. But they did eventually raise interest rates, and that made borrowing more expensive, and the stock market crashed. Consumers and businesses defaulted on their debt. There were bank runs. Sentiment shift, and it led to a prolonged contraction. Not because of early retirement, because of excessives in the economy. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one program and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. 
With everything getting more expensive these days, it's wise to find ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. You can do that with NetSuite. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash David. That's netsuite.com slash David. netsuite.com slash David. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. With the passage of Social Security and other government-sponsored pension-like programs around the world, and with longer life expectancies, the idea of retirement became more commonplace. And then the idea of early retirement. And it didn't crash the economy. The economy became more innovative. If you look at the classifications of occupations back in the 1920s, it's pretty clear it was focused on things. The U.S. government had just over 500 job classifications in the 1920s. 51 just in agriculture and lumber-related occupations, such as sugarcane farm labor, cranberry bog labor, corn shellers, hay balers, grain threshers. There were only four types of engineers listed. Civil engineers, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, mining en engineers, and technical engineers. So five engineers. Today, there are there are 868 occupational classifications, but they're very different. There are 18 types of engineers, additional ones that have been added, aerospace engineer, biomedical, computer hardware, environmental, nuclear. As you scan the list of jobs, there are way more scientists, technicians, managers, legal, education, social services, media, Healthcare. The economy has expanded because households and businesses demand more things. They have more needs. They want greater specialization. In other words, the economy adapted, it innovated, and allowed for greater leisure, including the leisure of retirement. There will always be those that fear economic change. In this case, fear the fire movement that a whole generation would like to retire early and take even more leisure. What's fascinating is there's fear on the one side about a generation quitting work and on the other side, how AI and robots will take over jobs. Gary Kasparov, chess grandmaster, lost 
in chess to IBM's Big Blue Supercomputer in 1997. He was recently interviewed in Wire magazine and said, Every technology destroys jobs before creating jobs. When you look at the statistics, only 4% of jobs in the U.S. require human creativity. That means 96% of jobs, I call them zombie jobs. They're dead. They just don't know it. Now, I, I'm not sure those are the correct percentages. Only 4% requiring creativity. But he continues, for several decades, we have been training people to act like computers. And now we are complaining that these jobs are in danger. Of course they are. He believes the way that individuals should interact with AI, with machines, with computers, is that their role is like shepherds, that they have to nudge the intelligent algorithms in a particular direction to put the right machine in the right place to do the right task. The economy will always evolve. Jobs will evolve. Technologies will evolve. And we need it to because the reason why economic growth per capita GDP is so much higher today than it was in the 1920s is because of innovation. Long-term economic growth depends on having more workers, and so the population is greater today. But we're producing more per worker because of efficiencies and because of technology and greater specialization, and that will continue even as more and more people want to early retire. Because as they do, their preferences change. What they're willing to buy, what services they want. It won't crash the economy. It'll change the economy, hopefully to be more sustainable and improve the well-being of everyone. When you look at where there are struggles in the economy, the cost of housing, the cost of health care, the cost of education, those areas are ripe for innovation. To get the outcomes we want without costing so much and without requiring so much debt, because those debt balances, as we saw in the 1920s, that's what can crash the economy. We saw it in the Great Recession. It was debt, too much debt. And then, because debt essentially accelerates future consumption into the present, the private sector gets to the point where they don't have enough income to service the debt and buy new things. And so they stop buying things. And that's what leads to the economic contraction. Until the debt gets restructured, it gets paid off, and we continue again. Housing, healthcare, and education, that's where we need to see more and more innovation and technology. So I don't think early retirement will crash the economy. And I look forward to the innovation that will continue to occur with AI, with robotics. I would love to see jobs become more creative, people doing the things that they are best at. I'd love to see the economy become less focused on things and more on experiences. Samuel Strauss concluded his 1924 essay in The Atlantic by writing, A century and a half since, men came to want more things. Men became enthusiastic over things. Men preached a new creed, the faith in things. Men set to work to make and to get things. Man devoted the best of human energy to things. Men pinned their progress, 
their civilization to things. Today, the force of things which they developed, the industrial force, may indeed be regarded as having the dominion over men. Today, men may be regarded as cogs in the great machine. But this machine, they themselves chose to build. We don't have to choose that. We could choose other things and other experiences. This past week, my mother passed away. She would have been 80 next month. She suffered from dementia, but thankfully was only bedridden one day. To not physically suffer. This deterioration of her memory occurred over about a five-year period. I was reading some of her writings this past weekend because with Lapril's mom having dementia, my mom, many in her family having had it, it's a terrifying disease as you slip and forget things. And so in reading her writings, I was curious, were there clues as to the changes that she saw in her mind? Six years ago, she wrote, there are many items in my life I have forgotten, but do I need to remember everything? Keep life simple. She focused on a few things that she could, her children, her grandchildren. She was very focused on doing her family history, creating photo albums for her children and grandchildren, the legacy, so they could remember where they came from. She focused on walking, going to church, just being a good person. Five years ago, she wrote, all my problems are small, but the combination is overwhelming me. Am I losing my sense? She focused more and more on just, just keeping her desk organized, organizing her music. February 2016, today is the first day of the rest of my life. May it be a good life. She loved flowers. She loved music. She loved the simplicity of life. That is episode 288. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, please sign up for my free insider's guide and I'll email some of the best writing I do on investing money in the economy just to you along with that week's episode link. So you don't have to go searching the website. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific life situation, your risk profile. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week. <laughs>